0: Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture with Sheree Sims on the Black Love Podcast Network. I am happy to be back here today and want to start off with the peak and pit of my day. The peak of my day, I actually had a lot of peaks today. It was a good day. But the peak of my day uh, lately has been having coffee with my father-in-law. He and I are both coffee lovers. So every morning I make a cup of coffee for myself and for him and we drink it together and chill and hang out. So very sweet moments for us. Uh, And the pit of my day, I don't really think I had a lot of pits. Honestly, the pit of my day was my pits. Like, y'all, I just moved a moment ago, and I realized I did not put on deodorant this morning. And that's not my fault. I just want to say that my 8-year-old was playing with my deodorant with a fork. I don't know why. She was making slime. It was a science experiment. My deodorant was a sacrifice to her science experiment, and now... I'm over here being the pit of my day, smelling like pits. So that's the pit. Uh, I hope y'all are having a good week, doing well, dealing with life and love and learning and growth in your little ones. I wanted to talk today a little bit about communication and cooperation with our littles. And when I say communication and cooperation, yes, I am talking about those big challenging moments, that challenging behavior A lot of people like to call them tantrums. I shy away from that sometimes because I have a lot of people in my world who are also professionals in the early childhood space and they're very quick to correct you when you use the wrong term. So if you are a professional listening, remember that I am talking to all of my friends and all of my community. And so we're just gonna call it what it is and call it how we all know it, which is a tantrum. I have a friend who loves to reach out to me with all of her parenting questions. And she recently reached out saying that she's having a hard time with her three-year-old who is very adamant about what he wants and very, as we would say in this world, a a very deeply feeling child. (laughs) And when you have a very deeply feeling child, that means that you have a lot of big emotions. They feel love very deeply, but they also feel anger and frustration very deeply. So I know that we all probably have that child or at least those moments where our child may not get their way and they end up on the floor and they're rolling around. Hopefully this is not in the grocery store, although I'm sure it has happened. I've had my share of children throw a fit in the middle of the grocery aisle, which always makes it worse because now you have the embarrassment of the people around you, looking at you, wondering what you're gonna do. So she she shared with me that her son is at this stage where he is kicking, he's spitting, he's yelling, He's demanding hugs. When she gives him the hug, he says, no, I don't want the hug. I want it over here. <laughs> Walk me over here and give me the hug. And it's it's that feeling of like, oh my gosh, child, what do you want? And what can I do? So today I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to kind of give a disclaimer and say that what I'm going to share today is kind of a blanketed solution or offering of understanding to a larger piece of the puzzle and this is really for typical children. So we have typical children, that's your quote unquote normal child who develops at an average rate, experiences their feelings at a, you know, minimal level. But then you have atypical children, you have special needs children. And so sometimes these blanketed things don't always work for these children. It is still good to have the knowledge. It is still good to know and to try because sometimes when we try things that would work on typical children, we kind of get clues and cues as to if our child needs a little bit more intervention if we as parents need a little more support, if we need to be looking at something different. So again, this is the blanket, as in like the pretty comforter that you put over your king size bed, that you're proud to buy, you're gonna post a picture of it, but we will get to all the things under the blanket in future episodes, so stick around. So in terms of communication and cooperation, uh, to put it simply, it's really about needs. We all have needs, our children have needs, we as parent have needs, we as people have needs. And usually when people are frustrated and when your children are frustrated and mad, it is an indication that their need is not being met. Now for children who have not been talking for most of their life (laughs) and have only been communicating through cries and hand motions and body motions, they are learning how to communicate to you what their needs are. And on top of learning how to communicate their needs, their brains are not fully formed and their brains are not fully developed. So I want to step back and just talk really quickly about the brain a little bit just so we have the understanding. I like to look at the brain as if it's a staircase, a staircase of four flights of stairs. On that bottom floor is the part of the brain that is responsible for how things feel in our body. It's that biological, physical response to sounds, to sight, to smells, to danger. When we go up to that second floor, it's pretty much the same, but it's helping us get to the third floor, which is where we interpret how that felt. So let's say you hear a firework outside. For us, we can quickly get to the point of, that was a firework outside. But when you actually stop for a moment and think and reflect, usually your body starts out with a jump because there was just a loud sound that you weren't expecting, and it causes your body to jump. You might feel a quick moment of fear, but eventually you get to the point where you're like, oh, we're nearing 4th of July, or we're nearing New Year's, or I live in the hood, and that was a firework. I'm safe. Everything's fine. Someone's popping off fireworks. So we have to help our children with getting from the initial spark of what was that sound, and that felt scary in my body, to, oh, that was a firework. I'm safe. So That third floor is how it feels in our body. Do we feel sad about it? Do we feel scared? Do we feel happy about it? And then the fourth floor is where we are able to use like logic and rationale, and we're able to actually think about things and say, that was a loud sound, but it was only a firework. We're nearing the 4th of July. I'm safe. Everything's fine, right? A lot of times what I see us do as parents is we see our child on the first floor, And we initially start kind of yelling at them from the fourth floor, expecting them to be at a place where they can use logic. For instance, we see a child who wants a toy. Their friend or their brother has the toy they want to play with. We see that there's an identical toy right next to them. And they're on the floor rolling around, screaming, kicking. And we go to them. Remember, they're on that first floor. So all they have right now is how it feels in their body. But we are standing there on that fourth floor talking about, sir, get up off the floor. Stop yelling, stop kicking. You can't do that. There's, they, Come over here. There's another car right here. This one looks just like that one. That's logic. However you want to say it, whether you're yelling or whether whether you're speaking calmly to them and you're like, son, I have another one. It looks just like it. However you want to say it, that's logic. And they can't get there that quickly. So our job as parents or educators or whoever's with the child, caretakers, caregivers, our job is to really kind of take them by the hand and help them from that first floor to that f- fourth floor. Earlier, I was talking about, you know, they're learning how to communicate their needs, but they're learning how to communicate their needs at a point where that fourth floor is not developed. The third floor is maybe being developed. The second floor and first floor, they got that. <laughs> So our children, especially the younger they are, they are still really in that primal state of like fight or flight and survival mode and the the survival brain. So that's why with younger children, we get a lot of fight from them because they are in the midst of fight or flight in their brain. Another thing that happens with them is that they have very little impulse control. In the brain, impulse control happens on that fourth floor, maybe on the third floor, But for a child who has not yet a fully formed brain, that impulse control is really, really hard. So even as adults, if we get upset about something, I know there are times that I'm mad and I want to like slam my fist down on a table or I want to slam a door. But we have impulse control, sometimes, some of us, and we can stop ourselves from doing that. right? But if you have the feeling and you have no impulse control, you are going to put up a fight. So I want us to understand that about our children, one, so we can have a little more grace for them, a little more compassion, and we can also understand that they are not doing this to us. A lot of times our children are throwing a tantrum and it is frustrating because in the midst of the tantrum, we also feel like they are being so disrespectful right now. They are being so out of line right now. But if you looked at them and you could see that they are just literally out of control, For me, at least, it brings me a little bit more peace, a little more comfort in being able to give them what they need. So now let's go back to needs. How does a child end up on the first floor, literally on the floor, kicking and screaming? Usually, this doesn't just happen because they felt like it would be a fun idea to kick and scream on the floor. Usually, something has happened and they had a need that didn't get met. So in an example of two children playing with a toy, a child wanted a toy, the child's need of play maybe didn't get met, their need for the toy maybe didn't get met, and sometimes even when we try to offer them the other toy or we don't, we might skip straight to you're kicking and screaming, I'm going to move you, you can't do that, this is not okay to behave this way, and now we're punishing the child and they're left with their need unmet, so now they're just getting more and more mad. Before I go any further, I do want to share a little bit with you about what we can expect from children's needs at different ages. And I'm not going to go through all of the ages. You can check my Instagram for that. I'm actually going to just do two to six years old, right? There are different categories, zero to two years old. Though we know them as infants, two to six. They're in the same bracket. We have toddlers and younger children. We have six to 10 year olds, 10 to 14 year olds, and 14 to 17 year olds. All of these different age brackets have different needs as they grow older. They have different emotional needs and foundational needs, and they have different interactive needs. So for two to six-year-olds, their interactive needs are often choice and autonomy. Autonomy meaning they're looking for independence. That's why we get a lot of this, no, I can do it myself. No, I want to buckle myself in. No, I'm going to put my own shoes on. Because they're at a stage where they're looking to build their own independence and autonomy and their own choice for what they wear, where they go, what they do, all of those things. Which, if you think about the places where you are fighting with them, it's usually in these areas. Another one of their needs is being heard. A lot of times, children, just like adults, just like you and I, we want to be heard. If I'm mad about something or frustrated about something... I don't want you to just tell me everything's okay. I don't want you to tell me I can't act this way. Because if you're just moving to the solution or telling me that I need to do something or act a different way, you're not actually hearing me out and hearing what I'm trying to communicate with you. And obviously with children, their efforts of communication, unfortunately, come with kicks, screams, yelling, sometimes spitting. And it's our job as parents to kind of, through these phases, give them the words that they can use so that we can hear what they're trying to tell us. Another one of their needs is care, stability, emotional safety. I know we're in a day and age where there's controversy over whether or not you yell at your child or whether or not you, you know, how the tone of voice that you use with your child, the way that you say things. Children do have a need for emotional safety. And a lot of times when we yell at our children, it triggers that fight or flight mode. So while yelling gets a child to freeze and gets them to stop doing whatever the behavior is, they're not actually in a place where they can listen to learning about what it is we want them to do instead. And they're not necessarily feeling safe. It's that freeze, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze. You Try to say that three times fast. But they're in that freeze mode. So on the outside, it looks like, okay, they're listening, good. But on the inside, are we giving them that emotional safety? Other things that they're looking for are clarity. Clarity is a big one. I kind of want to talk about that because a lot of times we're giving our children all of the don't do this, don't do that, but we're not giving them the here's what you can do. So it's very important to be clear with your child. And sometimes this clarity, comes in the form of boundaries. And I'm not trying to jump all over the place. This does go to communication and cooperation because it's really important that we communicate our boundaries to our children. And in this instance of my friend telling me what's going on with her child, one of the things that she said was, sometimes he asks for a hug, then I give him the hug, then he pushes me away and says, no over here. And I don't like the way that he's speaking to me, but I also wanna support him. How do I deal with that? So one thing that I I see is really important and beneficial is having boundaries and communicating those boundaries and being firm on those boundaries. And I think this is where people get tripped up when it comes to, quote, gentle parenting. When we hear gentle parenting, we think that that means permissive parenting. And we think it's lacking in being firm, lacking in boundaries, lacking in whatever else you want to fill in the blank. It's not. Boundaries are very necessary for children. So when your child is falling out, (laughs) it is important to keep them safe and it is important to hold those boundaries. So if you have two children, again, I'll use the car analogy, and they're arguing over the car or you have one that's trying to argue over the car, that child might get so mad that they hit the other child. When this happens, we want to stop the child and say, we cannot hit our friends, right? That's a boundary, and you have to be firm with that. We can still work on what your need is, which might be play, might be to be heard, might be independence, but we also have to practice safety. So boundaries are a huge thing. They're very important, and I definitely want to deep dive into boundaries with with you guys in the future. I don't have time today. I wish that I had all the time in the world, but I think that in order for us to even be able to enforce the boundaries and everything kind of come together to work, it's really important to understand the needs side of the tantrums um, before we can even set and enforce those boundaries because we can have boundaries and we can enforce them But if we've neglected the need, the boundaries are not going to serve us. So please stick around, come back, because I definitely want to deep dive and talk about boundaries, but I do want to go a little further into needs. So all of our children have needs, and when their needs go unmet, we get different behaviors. And when their needs are met, we get positive behaviors, right? We get happy children, laughing children, uh, sleeping children when their needs are met. But when they're not, we usually get More challenging version of our child. Now, needs can get a little bit tricky because while I can give you a list of what their general needs are, sometimes I've, for instance, had parents say to me, um, You know, my child says they wanted juice and I told them they can't have juice. And they said, Yeah, but I need juice. And so, what do I do if the need is juice, but I don't want to give them any more sugar? To me, that's it's not really a tricky question. The more we get to understand it, the easier it becomes. But it's, it's a very surface way of looking at what their needs are. So sometimes it looks like your child wants juice and you're thinking, my child has a need for juice, but really they have a need for choice. So in that instance, give them a choice. You can't have juice right now. You've already had two cups of juice, but you can have water or you can have milk, right? So now they still have an aspect of choice. They still have an aspect of control. And I will warn you that if this is not something you've been doing with them in the past, this is not magic. This is not gonna make them stop kicking and screaming right away. But once they start to learn and see that you are actually offering them choices, that they do have a different means and a different way of gaining a type of control and autonomy and independence in their situation, you start to get more cooperation from them. So same thing with other things. You might have a child that is jumping off of the bed and you as a parent have a need for safety. Your child has a need for play. The need is not jumping off the bed. So there's obviously different ways to meet this need. Sometimes this happens at bedtime. So now as the parents, we have a need for safety and we have a need for bedtime, but your child still has a need for play. So this is kind of where sometimes we might have to get creative and say, let's play a game of rock, paper, scissors before you go to bed, or let's lay down and, you know, play freeze. I don't know. Children are easy sometimes. You can make up some silly game that gets them in their bed and allows them to lay down and close their eyes or start to rest their bodies, but you can turn it into a game. So there are ways to meet both your needs and their needs. It's just really about kind of being reflective and really trying to look at what the underlying need is and not just looking at what they're telling you and then also teaching them to communicate that need. So one thing that works very well with me, has worked in my school with children, has worked with my own children, is when you see them having a hard time, when you see that they have a need that's not being met, you can use three different lines. The first one is making an observation. I see that you're really upset right now. That almost instantly connects to them because remember they have that need to be heard. So even if they are showing out, showing their butts, (laughs) acting a fool, we can still validate them in the sense of saying, I see you. I see that you're upset right now. That is not saying this behavior is okay. It's just saying, I see that you're upset right now. Once they feel heard and that need to feel heard is met, they almost instantly, and again, this is with typical children, this is a blanketed thing. Um, But they typically start to calm down right at that moment because they are acting out trying to be seen, trying to be heard, trying to communicate with you their needs. And so once you show them, I see you, I hear you, now they're a little closer to being willing to cooperate with you. So now after you've made the observation, you can ask them the question, could you be feeling X, Y, and Z? And the reason why you want to ask them, could you be feeling this, is because now you're inviting them into the conversation with you. You're not just telling them. You're not just preaching at them, talking to them. You're inviting them in and you're inviting, opening that door for cooperation because now you two are having a conversation. Now you two can team up and look at the problem as something that's on the other side that you two can tackle together. And after you've asked them, could you be feeling this? You move to the need, trying to figure out what the need is. I see that maybe you have a need for play right now. Do you have a need for play? They're either going to tell you yes or no. And a lot of times as parents, we like to think that we know everything. Uh, We don't always know everything. Sometimes it looks like a need for play. We got to be aware of the time. It might be past bedtime. They might really actually have a need for sleep. We might have missed that window when we were supposed to put them to sleep. They're overly tired and now they're acting a fool. So always look at the basics. Are they hungry? Are they angry? Are they lonely? Are they tired? I call that the HALT method, right? When things are crazy, just HALT. Ask yourselves the question H-A-L-T. Are they hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Lonely meaning they need connection. Maybe it's time to read a book together. Maybe it's time to sing a song together. So you can start there as just basic principles because once they have those things, those needs, those general, you know, biological, physical needs met, it's easier for them to manage their emotions. Um, And then once those needs are met, looking at their emotional needs and trying to figure out what is wrong and how do we meet these needs. I'm gonna kind of stop there. There is a lot more to get into. I do hope that helps. A little bit of homework that I wanna give you Is I want you to sit down with yourself and I want you to write a list of what your needs are as a parent. So as a parent, you have needs for safety. You might have needs for organization. You might have needs for scheduling and time management because you work, your children go to school. So you might have need for self-care. You should have a need for self-care. We all have that need. We all need to do it. So I want you to write a list of what your needs are and then I want you to write a list of what you think your the various needs of your child is, right? And if you have a situation where you feel really baffled, take a moment at night, in the morning, when you are calm, when you have the energy and the capacity to do so, but take a moment to really reflect on the situation and ask the question, what need were they trying to meet in that situation? So that is your homework, getting acquainted with your needs and your child's needs. And having that understanding and that foundation is really going to help you in your parenting moving forward. So once you have that, we can come back and we can talk about what do we do with those needs? How do we meet those needs in a way that meets my child's needs, also meets my needs, and leaves us in a place where we have good communication and good cooperation? I hope that helps you all, and I'm gonna run back home because the babysitter is off soon. I'm lying, the babysitter's on till 11.30 tonight, y'all. I have a date with my husband, so I'm gonna go home and get dressed for my date and put on some pretty clothes. We're going to a gala so I get to feel actually grown tonight. So I'm going to do that and post pictures on Instagram for you all to like and give me hearts and build my self-confidence because I was raised in a generation (laughs) of needing outward validation, which I'm trying to undo for my children. But while I work on that, y'all can go ahead and validate me because I'm here for it. All right, friends, I will see you all next time. Peace parenting for the culture is executive produced by cody and tommy oliver our senior producer is crystal hill art is by Koi madison parenting for the culture is a black love podcast network production